Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. The pandemic has changed so much about our lives, including how, where, and when we work. As more and more employees return to the workplace, we wanted to get a handle on how things are looking from both the perspective of employers and employees. So we've asked Mark Diagostino, the president of the Cleveland-based company Connected HR, to join us. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me. What does Connected HR, what exactly does your company do? Connected HR is an HR consulting firm that specializes in fractional HR professionals. So our team has risen to a certain level of their career, and um, they now work at small to medium-sized businesses. So we could have someone on our team um, that works a full schedule for us, and they might work at three different companies throughout the week. Let's start with your company. How did you deal with the pandemic? What did Connected do when the pandemic hit? Well, we had to be on our toes. So um, our clients were relying on us. Some had to shut their doors, obviously. Some stayed open. They were essential businesses. So Connected HR handled it. We were very flexible. So we figured it out and we worked with these companies. Sometimes we had to do it virtually. Sometimes we actually could go in. And it was tough. And it was even tougher because our team is made up of mostly moms. And um, they have children that are school age. And when schools were shut down, it was hard. They had to figure out how to be able to handle their clients and take care of their families and be there with their kids at home. When companies with whom you work started dealing with the pandemic, what kind of questions were they coming to you with? What were they asking you? Well, we called it COVID chaos. Huh. Um, they were asking a lot of questions. It was uh, it was a very scary time for everybody. Employers didn't know what to do. So it was a, it was actually as crazy enough as it was. COVID was actually helpful to our business growth. And with the COVID chaos that we had, we trained with employment attorneys um, more than ever virtually. So it was pretty much a couple times a week we have an employment attorneys on, they would train us on what's going on. And quite honestly, the employment attorneys said, you know, HR people see what's happening before it hits their desk, hits the employment attorney's desk. So it was crazy time. So we were able to train more, we got up to speed. We had already built a huge network of resources. And as COVID went along, we just continued to add to that. So I actually felt during this time that we've got, we got stronger at what we did. And we were very confident in supporting clients that and companies that were looking for help during this time. We've now moved into year three of this pandemic. Let's talk about some of the challenges employers are facing, starting with the whole notion of workplace culture. What's arising there in terms of how employers feel about their culture as opposed to employees? Well, I don't know if they're thinking about their culture. I think they're, eventually they do, but right now they're, most organizations are so stressed being understaffed and their worry is, can they get enough people in? So at the end of the day, culture is such a tough word to talk about because there's so many things that affect culture, but employers are focusing on trying to get the best employment experience for their workers and be able to bring in the candidates that can help them continue to support and grow their businesses. So culture is a big part of that, but culture just doesn't show up overnight or by adding certain policies or by having parties or get togethers or what have you. Culture is something that you, as all organizations just continually work on. They train their managers, they focus back on their mission, vision, values, their core values, they really work on and it just comes over time. So I think right now employers are trying to bring in 
and retain their employ the, the employees that they need for their business. And at the end of the day, they're they're focused on creating the best employment experience they can. Certainly, we've heard about the great resignation, and that has taken place with employees who've left because of COVID reasons. But is it also the case that sometimes employers hide behind that now saying, well, people are quitting because of the great resignation, but in fact, they're just dissatisfied employees. It has nothing to do with COVID. Um, you know, I think it's a mix, but yes. I mean, you know, as human beings, we make excuses for it for sometimes for, for our behaviors and, and our outcomes. And I don't think it's, I don't think employees leave just because of the great resignation. I don't, I think there's a lot of different situations why employees leave. So I think employers that pay attention to why they're leaving are the employees that have kind of the edge. And even if some people have left, they're quickly adjusting and they're doing exit interviews. Why are you leaving? And they're diving deep into what it was. You know, they're training their managers to have good conversations. 80% of the HR problems that happen start at the managerial supervisor level. So the companies that spend some time training their supervisors and managers actually are way ahead of the game. When we talk about there are various reasons for worker dissatisfaction, one of the ones I hear about frequently is this notion of employee favoritism. Employee A receives a promotion for past work. Employee B has a similar record, but they say, well, you're going to have to jump through 10 hoops to, to get your promotion. Is there a way employers can fight against this notion that they're favoring some employees over others? Because that can certainly cause dissension and, and people to leave. You know, that's an interesting question, Dan. Um, we, you know, it's, I don't get asked that question often, but consistency is key. Any employment attorney will tell you, any strong HR person will tell you consistency. Treat everybody consistently and with respect. And quite honestly, tra- the, those problems will just disappear. They'll just disappear. And you don't have to have like a 10 item list of what has to happen to get raises and that. It can be very simple. Right. Um, but it has to be consistent. And that starts with with good conversations, setting proper expectations and training your supervisors and managers. When you talk to employees and they tell you they're leaving particular companies, what about the companies to which they are attracted? What are the things they say to you? Mark, here's why I want to go work for company X. It depends on the industry. So, you know, greater Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, we're a Rust Belt area and, you know, construction manufacturer dominates. So somebody in the tech world can go, you know what, this company I work for now wants me in five days a week or three days a week, I can go work virtually and that's appealing to me. You know, we've all seen everything in the media about people want hybrid um, schedules where they can work offsite or in onsite um, or work completely virtually. So there are certain industries that allow that. Um, construction, manufacturing, not so much. So it really depends on the industry. I think what I'm seeing is some of the people are we're hearing about why they're leaving is because right now kind of it's trendy is really, and I will call it trendy. Um, some people may disagree with that, but it's being able to work virtually. Not, not everybody wants to work virtually that, you know, the media really pushes out how this is so appealing, but um, there are, there are probably as many or more people that like to come someplace to work. And I don't know the behavioral sciences behind it, but it's true. And so you really have to kind of look at the industry that you're in, Pay attention to the trends because you do have to align with the trends because you will lose people or you will not gain the people you want if you're not doing what your competition is. But you also, as an organization, have to look at what works for you and try to hire those people in there that fit that. So if your business is not a business that can, that can truly adjust and be virtual, then look for the people that don't have to work, that don't desire to work virtually. 
I know, easier said than done, but that's my advice. We hear about this labor shortage, but then you see figures for people who are 50 and older who are qualified for jobs who just can't get them. Why don't we hire those people? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Why don't they hire them? I think companies would if they could find them. So I think possibly there could be, depending on the types of industry and depending on the types of uh, jobs, there could be a disconnect between how those folks are able to find jobs. Maybe they don't have as much of a technology edge and don't know how to use the job boards as much as someone that would be younger than them. So that, there could be, there's some kind of disconnect. And, and I just think that they're just not finding each other because they are out there. Have you talked much with employers about the notion of in this in this particular climate win where so many people are working from home, the notion of supervisors and how many are needed, given that people seem to be functioning from home pretty well? You obviously have to have a chain of command, but I wonder, you know, did they see that perhaps we have too many people doing that because we're doing okay with people just working from home? You know, so the trends are, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the trends are the number of managers that have been put in place over the last two, two and a half decades is like quadruple what it used to be, which is really interesting. And I know there's been books written about it. it it's, that's another tough question. So I think what you're going to see is how managers are going to now be trained on how to manage the remote workforce. And everybody's doing it on the fly right now, right? Especially industries that weren't used to it. And you're going to see all the business writers start to write out all these, these things about how to manage a remote workforce. Um, so that it's tough and I, I, I don't, it's, it's really saying, okay, people give a snapshot of us say, oh, everything seems to be okay, but you don't know what you don't know, right? We haven't been in this long enough to actually put proper analysis on it. And also, you know, job performance and how you're having check-ins with your employees and communications with them, like that's different when they're on site and now they're away. How, how are we adjusting to that and how are we collecting the data? How are we actually how do we know that somebody's doing well? Is it just because we don't hear things happening or is it because we're not we're not seeing these things? We just don't know. And I think this is just going to evolve. I think we're going to have the next decade of this is just going to be an evolution of it. Mark D'Agostino joins us. He's the president of Connected HR based here in Northeast Ohio. He joins us for The Landscape today at Cranes Cleveland Podcast. Mark, we talk about this notion of working from home. Situations are different. If you have 3,000 employees and you tell a thousand of them, you can work from home. It's one thing, but if you have ten employees, it's another. How do how do small businesses address this question? And, you know, small businesses have have really taken the punch on this. It's so hard. You know, they don't. A lot of the small businesses don't have the technology in place that some of the bigger groups do. I know there's a local bank here that um, many people have not been back to work yet, and um, some of them have actually been given um, the allowance to work from home forever. And um, you know, that's appealing to some people, and and not so much to others. The small businesses and, you know, it's, it's the clients that we support. Most of the, the groups that we support, support are approaching 50 employees and under 250. And um, that's a tough one. I, I, think, I think they've got to get their technology right. I think they've really got to get their technology right. And, and to be able to help everybody succeed in the roles that they have wherever they're at. I think, though, what it has. So the flip side of this, there's always a flip side. Some of these smaller businesses it's opened their eyes to, I don't have to hire somebody right from this area. I can go out to different locations in the United States. And some of them weren't thinking like that before. Um, so I think it actually has created some opportunity for small businesses. When we talk about problems in the workplace, how many are caused by the training gap, especially as it pertains to older workers? 
You know, I actually wouldn't put it in, I wouldn't put it in the category of older work. Okay. You know, um, we moved to Ohio City. We're right next to the West Side Market, um, right on West 25th. And the reason we moved here is we opened up a training facility to, to train super frontline supervisors and managers. And, um, you know, regardless of their age or their experience level, uh, many managers have gained, have been put into managerial positions with no manager experience. And even some of the older, more experienced folks need continually need up updating, right? And um, to, to help them, you know, learn what's happening in the marketplace right now, what affects employees. But the, the new and upcoming supervisors that are first timers, they need the same types of training, like what's the best practice so that everybody can get on the same playing field. Companies often use algorithms in hiring. Do we need to exercise some caution with that? It seems like sometimes they can discriminate against certain groups just because of the nature of the algorithm. Well, you know, it's diversity and inclusion is, is, is really part of that, that discussion. So um, I think that whatever information you can gain on potential candidates that fits your organization, you should use, but it should all go into an equation, right? And I think we should always be cautious when making assumptions. Like um, behavioral assessments um, are big, you know, um, companies all sizes use them. They've become very affordable for the small businesses. And, you know, you can't hire strictly on somebody's behavioral assessment. There's laws against it, but there's also best practice, right? Um, you wanna look at the total employee. You wanna get to know them as best, the potential employees best you can as a candidate, and then make a really, really good decision on them. You know, is this, a, is this person a good fit for our organization? Do companies budget enough to address the question of talent acquisition or do many of them just say, well, Jane quit. We need to find another Jane or John's leaving. We need to find another job. Do they need to focus more on putting some money toward that? I don't know if I'd put it in the category of money. I would put it as a category of focus. I look at recruiting, especially now as all hands on deck, everybody from the entry level person all the way up to the CEO or president, everybody has a part in recruiting. And I don't mean the actual process, but identifying potential candidates to come into the business. Um, it's, it's, you can throw money into it. Um, you know, you can spend money on via social media, on, on the job boards, you know, indeed, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. But it, right now recruiting needs to be perpetual. So if you have some, uh, an organization has, you know, two or three openings in like uh, say a technicians, you just perpetually recruit, you don't stop. And because it's hard to recruit to start and stop. So I think companies, if they put more focus on it and put a very strong process and continue to adjust that process, they can actually keep their costs down. The point is, is that they need to perpetually do it. To start and stop recruiting is very, very hard, especially for small businesses. Are more and more companies using outsourcing for talent acquisition? Oh yeah. Yeah, um, you know, and again, it's all hands on deck, right? To, to the, the more potential candidates you have available, the, the better. And so, you know, it's, it's part of what we do here. We're not a recruiting firm, but we just started a talent division. Um, we focus completely on human resources, but now we have to do more talent support for our clients just because of the, the market conditions. So, yes, you, you, it's good, especially if you're, if you've got multiple jobs open and you, you can't seem to be able to fill those inter you know, with your internal team, you do have to supplement on the outside. PTO seems to be something that gets discussed more and more in the old days. A person received two weeks of vacation and seven sick days or whatever they received. 
Are more companies just saying, this is your time, do with what you wish kind of thing? Or are they still doing the, the separation? Depends on the industry. Depends on the, the philosophy of the company. That's a good question, how you put it. Uh, PTO is one of the top three things we deal with when we first work, start working with a company. It's, it's a big discussion. It's not something that we come and say, well, this is how PTO is. We give the best practices when we're advising a client and we're working with them, advising an organization. And then we, we work with them. We kind of negotiate with them on like, why do they have it structured this way? Why would they take a look at this way? Can we have their permission to dive into some of these possible changes? And you, you have to be careful with PTO too, because you could have a company that's been around for decades and you've had workers there that have been there 10, 15, 20, 25 years and they've worked so hard and all of a sudden you're changing the PTO and it's gotten much better. And they said, oh my gosh, all these years I haven't, I haven't been able to benefit. How come now we're changing, right? So you have to, PTO is like a, like it's, it's like a, a nuance. You just really have to dive into it and what makes sense for your organization. We spent a lot of our discussion centering around what employers need to do, but what about employees? What sorts of things do they need to be thinking about? I hate to use the phrase serve your employer well, but I mean, what do, they, what, what do employees need to think about as they approach their job? Boy, I wish we had a room of about 20 business owners here right now, and I don't know what their answers would be. It, you know, it's it's tough right now. And I, I think what's happened a little bit is sometimes employees have to realize, you know, that they, I, I, if I could coach an employee, I would really coach them on being professional through all the process, through the screening process, through the through the hiring process, the interview process, through the onboarding process, you know, and come in with an open mind and be very conscientious, right? And that goes from the conversations that you're having with people and ask a lot of questions. Um, I think sometimes employees don't ask, ask enough questions through the process and then they get into an organization that's not a fit for them. And I sometimes I, I would kind of fault the employee at that point because they didn't ask enough questions, but they might not have had the tools or the, the, right, the right questions to ask at the time. So. I really think employees, if they're conscientious and they really want to work, once they commit to an, to an employer, to, to really give that employer their best. And, you know, sometimes jobs just don't work out. They're just not fits. And, and that's okay, but there's a right way to exit and there's a wrong way to exit. And so that goes back to being professional on your way out, too. Before we close, I see that Connected HR is going to be expanding. You're going to be going in both Columbus and Austin. Is that correct? Yes, yes, uh, we are going. We've already done some work in, in Columbus, and we're going to be uh, we're, we're expanding into Austin. Also, there's a ton of businesses coming in there. Tesla's building their facility, and um, yeah, so we're really excited about uh, both business communities. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity. Thanks for sharing some thoughts about what's going on in the workplace these days, Mark. We're glad you could join us today. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it very much. Mark Diagostino is the president of the Cleveland-based company Connected HR. He joined us today for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. 